I'm excited to, to do this too, Martin. What were, what, what were you saying before I interrupted you to say, let's just start recording just now? Uh, well, I hardly ever get to talk about superhero movies on podcasts, I feel like, because everyone has an opinion on them. You know, you can ask anybody to come and talk about superhero movies, but people ask me to come and talk about like Carl Kakayina's Uko and you know, movies like that a lot of the time, which is fine. I love talking about that too, but uh, yeah, I'm no, excited. That's what I always find really weird. Yes, same thing with me. I don't think we've only talked about one superhero movie on the podcast. Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Thunderberg. I'm joined by our third mic, semi-co-host, almost official co-host, Martin Kessler. And he and I are going to be talking about the Marvels today. Um, right, we both watched, I watched it yesterday. I think you watched it on Friday. I watched recording it this uh, Sunday. Yeah. And um and I, as I was saying, I think we've only talked about um, superhero movies once on this podcast. John and I did a um, uh, an episode on the last Doctor Strange movie, but that was mainly because it was Sam yes. Raimi and we're big Sam Raimi fans. So it wasn't necessarily um, to talk about superhero movies. I wanted to do this episode with you, um, which I sort of audible to you this morning, last night. I don't know when I said, hey, <laughs> this morning, yeah, you were going to see it. Let's let's record an episode. There's a few reasons for it. One, exactly what you're saying, where um, I don't have much of an opportunity to talk about superhero stuff either. I don't think I'm the same kind of superhero movie fan and comic book fan that you are. I'm not a comic book fan at all. I've never read comics in my life. I sort of tried and actively disliked them when I was younger. You know, it's one of those things when people tell you like, read Watchmen, it's on the level with like real literature and you read it the same month you've read Anna Karenina for the first time. <laughs> like, the fuck out of my I mean, I, I'm not sure if I liked either Watchmen or Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Um, I I prefer the Watchmen movie, which probably puts me in a weird, weird camp. But, no, but uh, I, I do like comic books. I, I've always liked comic yeah. books. I liked a lot of like the science fiction stuff more than the superhero things. Yeah. I, I got more into the superhero stuff when I was a little bit older actually i kind of went back and was like oh you know there's good stories here there's interesting stuff yeah. i mean the superhero thing that really got me hooked was the authority which is almost like like watchmen by way of paul verhoeven or something like that i, I remember like the, the exact panel that got me excited where thing. you hear a lot of comics described as like, no, it's like a Verhoeven movie. Chris, you love Verhoeven. And then you read it and it's not like a Verhoeven movie. It's like Robocop 2 is what it's Okay, like. well, th th this like one actually movie. is. That's why uh, <laughs> when uh, James Gunn made that announcement, that like, like when they were listing off all the DC films that were going to yeah. be in his, now that he's in charge of that, uh, you know, he's going through and there's all the stuff that you kind of expect, like, okay, new Superman movie, new Batman movie, yeah, yeah. And he just lists off the authority and like my jaw dropped. I'm like, I can't believe they're like, <laughs> really, they're going to be doing the authority. And like, I was talking to my friend Sia and she said like, she had to rewind it. She was like, there's no way they really said that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if James Gunn's doing it, that's to me, that, that would be like more exciting than like James Gunn doing a super Superman movie. But oh, yeah, uh, well, that stuff is, that I, I just remember there's like this one panel, Yeah, you know, I flipped open the book and they're fighting. Like there's a, a group of superheroes that's like a parody of the avengers yeah and they say you know there's like the giant man character saying oh you know what kind of 
super team shows up smelling like booze to a fight and the character that's sort of like the superman analog apollo flies through this guy's skull like a bullet and pops out the other end and just says the dangerous kind and it was like this big yeah <laughs> uh image that just sort of like wowed me and i was like oh i gotta read i gotta read this whole thing yeah but um, uh i i do like superhero comics yeah. And I, and I certainly have, like, I have more respect for them than I'm making it out to be. And that's part of why, to do this episode, you and I are both in a weird position where we we sort of have social media in common. I feel like you and I are the most prominent representatives on social media of, we love serious art films. My, my favorite filmmakers are not, Christopher Nolan and Steven Spielberg, you know, that is not, I am not like a comic book movie guy who's like, these are the best movies of the year, but I like comic book movies and respect where they're coming from and see how they belong to a, a history of cinema and popular cinema that frequently gets disrespected and you know, sort of the trouble I got in was, was sort of casually, not even as a value judgment, just saying, you know, I feel bad for all these people who hate superhero movies right now. They don't understand in 20 years, these things are going to be selling out repertory screenings and be sort of universally. This comment got you in a lot of trouble. I remember. Yeah, people got furious, <laughs> furious, furious, furious. And it wasn't even a value judgment. It's just like, oh man, don't you understand? Like yesterday's crap becomes beloved and never has a controversial tweet been proven quicker. Three weeks later, the new Beverly on their schedule had announced a sold out screening of Batman forever. Batman forever <laughs> is the worst fucking one. It's worse than Batman and Robin. It is awful. And people were like, great Batman forever. No, it's got the campiness and the colors. And it's like, I'm here to tell you young people, it's going to happen to Ant-Man and quantum mania too. You know what I mean? Like these movies are going to be beloved. And I just had such clear memories too of through all my life that there's a lot of cultural detritus that gets shit on in its day that ends up being really enduring. Just the sort of Martin Scorsese, although he refined his initial comments, this is part of the problem. He initially said something stupid in an interview, which is like, these aren't even movies. They're like theme park rides. They're not even movies. Mm -hmm. That was dumb. He dropped that immediately. That was an off-thorn thing and developed a more sophisticated critique of them that I think is, is legitimate and also sort of has a, a a a cinephile alkalite's romantic defeatism to it too. He sort of outlined terms for a battle that like he knows he's going to lose and something like, why is popular entertainment more popular than unpopular entertainment? And it's like, <laughs> right. I think you just answered your question. <laughs> like what are you like what are you even talking yep. about? You know, kind of thing. Um but the the superhero, these aren't even real movies that just belong to such a tradition of films where so much of the movies I love, you know, from the horror cinema and the MGM musicals and even, you know, things I don't particularly love, like Alfred Hitchcock, a lot of these things were derided as fluff and garbage in their day or disregarded, you know, read the reviews for John Carpenter's The Thing. This is an obvious, self-evident, great movie. And at the time, it was a real symbol of just how low cinema can go 
yeah. just being so gross and violent and degenerate and pointless, you know? And you see the same thing with so many 80s movies. Like, what right-thinking person in 2023 doesn't love Predator? But go read some reviews for Predator. Read reviews for Total Recall. Read the reviews for the Schwarzenegger and Stallone movies. And you will see that, like, they are occupying a lot of the similar space that superhero movies well, There's are. also this, like almost historical revisionism where you talk to people and they're like no those films were beloved from the beginning yeah and, it's and popularly beloved. <laughs> like no like i will sit you down and make you watch the the ebert reviews and like i remember what it was like to be a fan of john carpenter's the thing in the 90s yeah. it was not like a like a respected film it was considered trash you know and like no, i think it was I only really like poster up in my college yeah. form and got made fun of regularly for having a poster starring a pro wrestler up in my uh, well i still remember it wasn't even that long ago uh when i was on flickswise there was a there was a guest on who was a film professor and she was saying like oh they live like that terrible movie yeah. and I, I just remember thinking like oh like you you don't even realize like you lost the cultural war yeah. on that one like the, the... they're trapped in the past yeah. yeah well that's that's the you know go read a new yorker review they weren't it's also correct to say they were not universally behated either. You know what I mean? Like they were not, you can go find good reviews of any of these movies, especially the ones that that are sort of a change up or notably better in some way. Like, yes, Die Hard and RoboCop were not getting the, this is the end of cinema reviews, but right. like Rambo was the first Terminator. Well, I, I was just reading good uh, reviews, but you know, you a can review by uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum of Event Horizon. Yeah. where he calls it basically the worst film ever made. Yeah. I'm like, and th th this was not like an old review. This is from like 2015. <laughs> it's like, you know, if, if that's the worst film you've ever seen, like you, you should probably watch more movies, Jonathan Rosenbaum, famed critic. But, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? You like, got some learning about cinema to do. <laughs> no, he's, he's one of those critics that I liked when I was young. And the older I got, I was like, oh, this guy is so beholden to like a, a mainstream leftist liberal philosophy that like he can't recognize good or bad without the guideposts of that philosophy so he sure can like, i, I no, think like i remember soldiers is great but only because of its sly anti-war yeah. satire well, and i remember hearing him talk about hard to be a god and yeah. it was so clear that like he had no idea how to navigate talking about that film but um... yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway. I mean, whatever. And I think that <laughs> what, exactly whatever. Yeah, it's like he's 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 made his mark. He's great. We certainly don't need to be anti Jonathan Rosenbaum. <laughs> but I do think that there's um, it's it's obvious that popular entertainment things get when people are so angry at the superhero movies. It reminds me of those kids in like seventh grade who were so angry at the new kids on the block. You know what I mean? There was mm -hmm. just a kind of kid that hated this music so much. You know what I mean? And just had like, just the, the thought of the song Hanging Tough made them just furious. You know, it's that's how all those people sound to me. The like, the like kid who's in high school who just hates NSYNC and is going to tear down the posters and they're not cool like Blink-182 or who the fuck ever. You're like, they're yeah. not real like Papa Roach. That's how all of the anti- superhero movie people sound to me, you know? And and I think this is something you and I have also talked about. It's also a clear expression of lack of taste 
on their part if you can't differentiate between Thor, Love and Thunder and Thor Ragnarok. If they're all right. just the same right. crap to you, then you actually have no taste. You know, you actually have bad taste. You can't identify anything other than, again, those Rosenbaum-esque signposts of like, well, it was comic book movie equals bad because Scorsese told me it's bad and I really believe in him. And so we all agree it's bad because comic book movie. You know, that's it's like an anti-taste. I mean, it's kind there, of there are some, some of these comic book films, I think, are like so self-evidently entertaining and compelling and you have to be wrapped up in some kind of weird ideological thing to not like them or love them. Like I'm writing something about uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad for Film 89 right oh my now. God, I love that movie so much. I, lo I love that movie. And like, it's sort of clear digging into the people who criticize and hate it. Like there's two kind of main groups. There's the comic book movies or the death of cinema group. Yeah. And there's like weirdo Zack Snyder fans who are like, this is destroying the... The, Snyder. <laughs> the Zack Snyder universe and like I mean it's it's extra funny to me because like Zack Snyder and James Gunn are friends and like you know th that film is actually I don't think out of line with um, with what people who are into that should be enjoying you know it's it's a comic book movie but it's uh, a little bit more adult and R-rated and there's you know some edge to it but anyway that's a whole other yeah no thing, and it should also be yeah. clear on the other side with the very few exceptions, you know, we're not people who are like, oh, Infinity War, Endgame, it's all been building to this. You know, we're, <laughs> right. we're not, we're not. Well, I, mean, I actually not thought like, like, like yeah. um, again, talking about like differentiating between these things, like I thought uh, Infinity War was fantastic and I thought Endgame was kind of bad. <laughs> like, Infinity War is the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. That Endgame, one's great, it's, an Endgame. That one's great. And Endgame is, is not that not that good <laughs> you know and back to the future part two it's very yeah, strange yeah. and like and like you know you had thanos who was a really fantastic villain in infinity war and i thought like when they kill him off at the beginning of endgame you know thor cuts his head off when he gets the second chance and it like it doesn't solve anything it's like oh good like he's dead it like nothing is resolved i thought they should have just left him like that's a perfect way to leave that character yeah you know but it's like oh you have to have the big yeah. lord of the rings battle where everybody gets together so we we got to bring some villain in let's bring him back and instead of killing half the universe like he was motivated he's going to kill everybody for some reason and yeah. you know it just starts to get a little bit like messy but um, what we can talk about with the marvels yeah. which is the other reason i wanted to do this episode is the marvels now that it's official it's having it's a box office bomb it's made the lowest of any uh, Marvel, MCU, Disney, Marvel movie. It's down. It's got it's doing Morbius type numbers down here. Oh, you know? and that <laughs> a lot of people this combined with Guardians of the Galaxy three, which a lot of people reviewed in a sort of like this is the beautiful send off to the Marvel universe. And we're all too old for this now. And we're, we're <laughs> moving on. And and this one being like the actual nail in the coffin that you can't just you can't just put Ant-Man in a movie and have it be a hit anymore. You know, yeah. and I I think that talking about the context of all this stuff, the preamble is also um, interesting to sort of talk about it because it is this is it is a cultural moment. A at the end of the day, what's funny to me is I feel like it's a kind of very trivial cultural moment. That's why I don't understand why the people who were up so upset about it were so worked up in <laughs> in some way. We're at a moment when we have more access 
to interesting film art than at any point in history. It's it's incredible how much more access and how many more interesting films are being made. And just if you want to look around for stuff, you can see so much more, even yes. new films that at any point in history. So like, oh, you know. People don't remember that, the days when you had to dish out like a hundred bucks to get a copy of Eraserhead. Like oh, those exactly. days sucked. <laughs> when, when I wrote a handwritten letter to new yorker not knowing who they were i'm like 16 i was like i see you distributed marriage of Mar marriage of maria braun do you distribute any other fassbender movies hoping i would get some kind of response from them and just like of course they did you don't hear anything and then again yeah. i think vhs of that was like 80 bucks or whatever it was for the for the rental priced copy of it and um yeah same thing so it's a little like yeah i guess it stinks that like you know um, all of these movies are dominating the 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 multiplex, and that there's not. I don't know what like like what is what is actually missing from the multiplex. And it's funny to me. This is going to be so tangential, but it, sure. I feel like the the irrelevance and the failure of the modern critic is embodied in the fact that the last two like movies they really got behind of like these are adult movies that are good that this is the middle class of cinema that people were missing were fletch one and hitman hitman hasn't come out yet but these are two utter mediocrities and if it's like mission impossible dead reckoning means we don't get to see fletch one in the theater it's like who fucking cares you know like the middle class of the cinema that gone it's like what, what are you i know what you did last summer teaching mrs tingle these aren't getting big theatrical releases anymore like what what the fuck do I care about that? You wish there were more movies like The Notebook out there? Great. I don't, I, the middle class of cinema is welcome to Mooseport in Krippendorf's tribe. And yes, I agree that shit isn't getting made and put in theaters anymore. But like, it's, you know, there's, you can see the other stuff. You can see much better stuff. You can see a much bigger variety of it. You can see in a much, much easier way than at any point in history. If you want to see Anatomy of a Fall, you know, it's that's much easier now than it is to see at any other point in time. So it's a trivial argument to me in a lot of ways. It's one of those nostalgia arguments that gets stoked about like, oh, everything was so much better in the past. You go, I lived through the past. I lived through the release of Batman Forever. That thing's a pile of shit. What are you talking about? It's this nostalgia <laughs> for an age that never existed, you know? Yeah. Or certainly I'm had just, existed before the superhero movies. Yeah. And just talking about the box office, though, like I'm always kind of wary of yeah. box office punditry because I think like people do have a tendency to be like, oh, this movie must have flopped because it was bad. How, you know, what are the ways it was bad? And I think like sometimes like there are other factors, but it's hard to sometimes distinguish why why something fairly flopped versus why something unfairly flopped you know what i mean like the suicide squad again it's it's one i was thinking about because that performed pretty poorly at the box office but that was during the pandemic and and it was specifically that was with the, the weekend it came out was there yeah. was there's the second wave is hitting and i remember yeah. i couldn't go see it in the theater specifically and that uh because of my blood problems i wasn't able to yeah. I, I didn't see it in the theaters either but they released it you know the same day on HBO on HBO streaming so like you know there's sort of a reason but it's hard to say like yeah that was kind of an unfair flop versus um what was that comic book movie with Vin Diesel blood bloodshot blood something oh yeah yeah blood man, <laughs> blood man. Blood like I, re I remember hearing somebody saying like oh, 
if it wasn't for the pandemic and i was like that film is clearly gonna flop no matter what like you're lucky you got the pandemic to blame it on you know so he did based on based on his D &D character he got the studios he plays (laughs) a big D &D head and there's a movie that's like witch hunter or something oh yeah yeah based on his and it's based on his D &D character he was like i got this great character you got to make a movie out of it he's america's greatest hero vin diesel i think he's got that like i feel like Brie Larson is catching that like Vin Diesel acting disease where you can see them having to cut around like a non-performance like that last Fast and Furious movie I thought like there's a part where it was like that classic Kuleshov editing where you have like (laughs) deadpan Vin Diesel face and it cuts to somebody reacting it cuts to like Jason Momoa being like wahaha and it cuts back to like the same Vin Diesel face (laughs) it's like oh they're trying to like edit emotion into this like (laughs) non-performance and like I you know Brie Larson she was in that uh, she's in Fast and Furious movies now she's in King Kong she's in you know these Marvel movies I feel like it's that same thing with Vin Diesel where I have to explain to people like no like she, she used to be an actor like really trust me Very like, she, she wasn't uh she, she wasn't always like this like Vin Diesel you know if you go back and watch like especially you know multifacial if, multifacial or like boiler room or the first pitch black I'm like oh he's like a good actor yeah and now he's he's you know that sounds like a ridiculous statement like i sort of say it as a joke but uh, like i used to do the like hey fun movie trivia did you know vin diesel used to be an actor yeah he's like really fun and find me guilty that's what that was right no like he he, that's like he was good and it's it's like hard to it's hard to explain that now (laughs) i feel like that he's on to whatever fast and furious thing he, he's on where he just kind of phones it in but like Brie Larson no, the Stallone arc where you watch Rocky yeah. and First Blood and you're like holy shit what an actor you know yeah like, you yeah know, you watch it like this movie works in spite of him maybe it could be a movie star you really watch Rocky and First Blood and are like this is a goddamn actor like this guy is great you know yeah and then and like and by the time he's in you know Oscar or yeah, whatever yeah. it's like well yes you know <laughs> but like Brie Larson like uh, you know I know she's got people who I, I think seem to like hate her no matter what but like I I liked her in Spectacular Now I liked her in Short Term 12 I liked her since uh, Scott Pilgrim you know and I like at least she has the Oscars so you can point to it and be like hey look look, she got an Oscar <laughs> she was an actress at one time but you know now like between the I, I don't know what it, like I think the Captain Marvel character this might be partly from the comic books because i tried reading the comics at one point and i could never get into them i found them like too kind of convoluted and i never got a handle on like who that character is and i feel like that might have translated to the films where i'm like like what is this character like what what is she supposed to be how's she supposed to act and i feel like it's a weird kind of i i don't know uh something about the character doesn't work her performance is sort of uncharismatic in that part. And I feel like it's a, it's kind of a failure to make a big new kind of comic book temple character. But Well, it's interesting. The, the strength of the Marvel movies has always been perfect casting yeah. for the roles, regardless of how big the actor is. Robert Downey Jr. is a huge star now. He was not, he had had his star moments. He was not a big star when they made him Iron Man. No, he, he was Our- like a like a train wreck you know like he he was almost considered like uncastable like i think um uh, i remember him saying he tried to get mel gibson on as the director for iron man 3 because he said when he was like in a really 
yeah. rough spot. Mel Gibson was the only one who would cast him. Well, that's and actually he kind of wanted to pay him back, but th- that didn't Shane Black work out, on so. because uh, yeah. Shane Black had done the same sort of thing with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He had yeah. stopped for him when, when that, but you know, Mark Ruffalo or you know whoever. That was like the lesson they learned. Chris Hemsworth is we're not going to get the biggest star. We're going to get an yes. actor, Tom Holland, who's perfect for this role. And they avoided the like, what about Ed Norton for Hulk? You know what I mean? Like those kind I, of. Eventually, they they learned that, yeah. <laughs> But they 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 yeah. learned we're not going to get the biggest actor who wants to do this or even the best actor. We're going to cast these. Do you ever go back and read like '90s comic magazine type things where they used to have like casting suggestions, yeah. and yeah. they were always like terrible because they would it would always be like the biggest name stars out there. Yeah, and you know I, I think like that's the joke in uh, Chasing Amy. <laughs> I love Chow Yun Fat. I just don't think he'd make a good. I forget who they say Freakazoid or whatever. Freak- Mad- Madman or something. I think yeah, Madman. That's yeah. <laughs> You know, but you look at like the Guardians of the Galaxy films and, you know, they're so well cast, even even the Vin Diesel, who I was trash talking a minute ago. But yeah, no, I, I think like the casting was one of the big strengths. And even like, I feel like figuring out how to use those actors really well, like um, uh, Chris Hemsworth, well, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I, I was like one one of the Chris's. <laughs> but Hemsworth, you know, you look at, uh, you know, over the course of the Thor films, I feel like they figured out like, oh, he's a really good comedic actor. You know, yeah. that wasn't like his usual thing. And I feel like now he's sort of known as more of a comedic actor unless he's doing an extraction or something. But, you know, he shows up and stuff and he's usually funny and jokey. And um, yeah, you know, he's very good at that. And I feel like that's something that kind of came from figuring out like, ah, what do we whereas, do with this character? You know, whereas Natalie Portman feels like she's just in that movie to have a movie star in it because he's not yet. And then when they try yeah. and make her integrate her into the MCU in Love and Thunder, it's a disaster because like, who is this character? This person is not perfectly cast for it. You can't just drop Tom Cruise into the MCU and have it work regardless of them being a movie star. And that's the right. mistakes they with the Marvels. And I think the Marvels is culmination of mistakes that they start to make um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big things that you're talking about where it's like, well, who is Ms. Marvel? Is it the character? They, after their success with Guardians of the Galaxy, especially who are like C or D list level characters, you know, and they make as big as anything. And Ant-Man, they make and do a three film standalone series. They sort of decide we can take any character and make them into a main character people care about. It doesn't matter what level we think they're at. Black Widow is a star if we make Black Widow into a star. And that's actually much fucking harder to do than I think they then I think they seem to understand. It's not that they got lucky before. It's just, it's a perfect storm of circumstances. And somebody like James Gunn, who clearly loves those characters and wants to make that movie because he knows how to do it to make it awesome. If you told me Nia DaCosta has never read a comic in her life, I would believe you. If you told me she's read a billion comics, I'd go, okay, it doesn't come through in the film. You don't feel like this is somebody who spent her teenage years pouring over, you know, Rom Space Knight comics and is like, I know how to do Captain Marvel great because, you know what I mean? The way mm-hmm. James Gunn, you just, he's like got opinions on how to like, Vermin would be a good villain for this. You know what I mean? Like that's, sure. it's, and, and it's, and I think it's hard to make the C-listers into A-listers if you just hand 
a director a property and say, go and just do it. You know what I mean? It's it's actually yeah. really, really hard to do that, especially this one that has a big problem of like, there's three co-stars and none of the characters are interesting, <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it, it's a really big problem with that. And one is like, who is this lady? Oh, you didn't watch any of the TV shows? Well, I got news for you. She's one of the stars oh. too. And you've never heard of her. She has no personality. The actress is nobody you know. There's not a single defining characteristic other than like, she's the smart one, I guess. You know, like that's not like, who cares? You know? So I mean, me to add... me... Oh, sorry. I was okay. Say... Well, well, you go, go ahead and ask. because I, I was going to say, did you like the Marvels? I, I thought it, it's a real... To me, it's like... It is the capstone. Like this, this is this is this movie is like the demonstration of like why it's falling apart. Like if this is where they built to, this is the end. And I think it is a culmination of that. Stuff. I I think you're right that it's a culmination of a lot of different problems. Um, it's sort of funny. I was talking to Adam Rakoff, who took his daughter to go and see it, and the way he phrased it, I I thought was pretty astute. Where he said, "I don't think it's the worst Marvel movie. I just think it's the weakest." which I kind of felt like there's something very true about that. Where like, you could look at something like the Eternals, which feels like, like a bigger swing and a miss kind of a, like, Oh, this is like somebody trying to do a thing and it came out bad. Yeah. And I think like, there's, there's probably like, I don't know, like Shang-Chi, the whole third act I thought was like, Oh, this is bad. Yeah. Or like black widow, something about that just well, didn't black widow. So bad black widow, like, you know, black widow is like a worse movie, but like, yeah, Marvels is the weakest movie. <laughs> like that kind of makes sense to me in a way where, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of came away feeling like, you know, th this would have been like a fine two part episode of like a streaming show. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I think that um, that to me has been sort of a big problem for this latest uh, phase of the Marvel stuff. Like, I think, well, I guess after not just after Endgame, after uh, the Spider Man Home Far, Far From Home. Yeah. Home, there, there's too home many run? spider homes, but um, after that one, it was like, okay, we're getting into streaming. Uh, you know, everyone wanted to be Netflix, Disney Plus needs stuff, and there was this real hype of like, oh, you know, they're going to bring cinema quality to television to the yeah. small screen. And we're you had WandaVision, make Elizabeth which Elizabeth Olsen be in our fucking TV show. All right, well. <laughs> Even like the, the way that that show WandaVision was structured, to me, it was like, you know, each episode was the different era of like, oh, we're starting in the 50s with the sitcom and then the 60s and then, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. Each each episode was like a different era of television up to like, yeah, you know, parodying Malcolm in the Middle and then parodying uh, The Office. And then the final episode, it's like, ah, yes, now the age of the superhero TV show has arrived. Like it's all like, you know, the show itself was about leading up to now at last marvel is on television it's on streaming and um and you know you get into this era where you get i think like instead of bringing that like cinema quality to the television it just made everything feel like spread too thin and it feels like it it made the movies feel more like television you know what i mean i, I think like that was kind of a problem like you know I, there are things i can criticize about um, avengers endgame but like you need to see that thing on the big screen. It, yeah. It's a movie. It's a big, you know, it, it doesn't even like work yeah, really the on the small screen. Is awesome. And I think that's something yeah. that people underrate about these films. I saw all like all of the Marvel movies with my dad, who's a huge old school yeah. comic book nerd. 
huge, huge, huge. And my son, right, who's a kid who's now 13. And uh, it's also interesting because my son has like grown out of them too. And so it's this movie was also, <laughs> right. he, saw, he saw Guardians of the Galaxy and the Marvels to like humor me and my dad, basically, you know. Mm. But it's but it is like you see those movies with a crowd and people are going bananas and it's a packed I mean, movie. And people like, were sort of uh, picking something. on in in the yeah. last uh, Spider-Man movie, the last live action one. Yeah. Like, you know, there's the scene where Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire show up and there's like a weird pause. Yeah. And it's for the audience applause. And it, it's like one of those things that just doesn't work when you're watching it by yourself at home, yeah. which, you know, you can kind of pick on. But like. It's awesome when you see that in a movie theater and everybody's applauding and people are excited. And like, yeah. you know, those films were really made to be seen on the big screen. And I feel like now the line between the, the streaming shows, the television yeah. stuff, it's like blurred and everything feels cheapened. And even like the Marvel movies that are coming from directors who I, I think like have something to offer people like a James Gunn or a Taika Waititi or whoever, you know, like there's clearly something wrong with these films on a systemic production level yeah that makes them feel cheap now like I, you know you look at uh, the guardians of the galaxy movies which i like i love the first two those are my yeah. favorite marvel movies right you, you look at like for example just uh, nebula's makeup yeah. in the first one compared with the latest one or like the, the christmas special it's like oh this is like getting cheap like there, there's yeah. something like shoddy going on and it's like uh I think with the streaming shows, partly you can feel them like, okay, how many corners can we cut and people will still watch this? How much yeah. can we get away with cheapening this? And I think like at a certain point, you just sort of cheapen the overall brand and you lower your own standards and it's uh, it's detrimental to the overall well, it's also franchise or whatever you want to call this. Yeah, yeah, is it's hard to come up with breathtaking new vistas that nobody has ever seen before. You know what I mean? It's it ends up just being another floating throne room in space with a big window. You know what I mean? Like, well, a I mean, there's a like there's that. a scene in the Marvels when they like they, they hit the like you know teleport through space button and they crash land on this planet that's like a giant field. Yeah, and it just looks like a giant CGI field that they like extended or painted and, like a you know as far as you can see it's like huh. I don't know if you play Minecraft, but there's a flat world option when you okay. Do it and it I, like I haven't played Minecraft. It just looks like big, empty, flat world. And you're like, is this, this is the idea? It's like the blandest image anyway. you could come up with. Like they did land on some like strange alien planet that's like full of something weird or something funny. It's like, yeah, huh, they just kind of landed on big field planet. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, I think like there is, there is kind of a blandness that seeps into it. And it, it's funny, like, I don't know, people criticize like the old sorry i've got uh um but pe people were like criticizing those older marvel movies as being like the death of cinema and like I, I don't compared to some of the newer ones like they look so creative and so you know they they do a lot of interesting things that i feel like you know that's starting to get diminished or disappear or i mean i don't know how much you want to get into the visual effects but that's also kind of a clear problem with some of the newer marvel movies like um i was re-watching iron man 2 yeah and like I, you know that film does have its issues like there's that whole kind of middle section's pretty flabby 
yada yada. But like my problem with that movie is the second half becomes let's set up the Avengers, and I'm like, God, yeah, yeah. I, I think most people have that problem. Marvels that I say too yeah. is like I just want a Marvel movie that's its own movie and is not. You had to watch the TV shows and the larger universe. Yeah. It has the problems that the comics have in the mid '90s when I would try and start reading them, and it's like Clone Wars, Crisis on Infinite Earth. Oh my I'm god, like, I remember. Fuck is for it? for the longest I time. I like Spider Man fight the guy. I, I hated Spider Man because when I st first started trying to read comics, it was right when that stupid Clone Saga thing was going on, and like. I, I'm, I was too young to realize like, oh, maybe this is just like a bad story. I was just like, I guess this is what Spider-Man is and it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so like that, that kept me away from Spider-Man comics until like, you know, years later. And I sort of feel like when they introduced the Miles Morales character, it was like, okay, it's kind of a fresh Coming back. entry point. That's the thing. This is the thing. The Marvel comics in relationship and separate to the DC is it's, you know, it's like Stan Lee says in Mallrats, it's like the Hulk, a regular guy, a rage of emotions, the next, you know, Spider-Man's a teenager <laughs> who's worrying about yep. homework. The X-Men's are like outsider freaks who feel unloved and their intelligence, yes. you know, alienates them from people. They're identifiable, like teen angst stories. They're identifiably yes. human stories, opposed to like, the new gods punch each other in the face of DC apart from Batman. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's just no, like, and I, I'm a big believer of the, you know, keep it simple, stupid kind of philosophy. Once you, do that, once you go to outer space and it all becomes outer space shit, it's like, what can you even do with the, with the Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel and the Marvels are Ms. Well, Maybe I was What's thinking, her name? is it, is it Captain Marvel? I fucking it up. Already. There's Captain Marvel, there's Ms. Marvel and there. It's like an ongoing joke what yeah, um, know, Monica Rambeau's name is going to be. Say, but Yeah, I'll say Kamala Khan. That's yeah. That actress is the only interesting actress in the film. It's the yeah. most interesting character while being paired with sitcom broad bullshit that I can only uh, assume is imported from a TV show. And But it's human, and it's like what you want Marvel to be, theoretically. It's a take on, it's Miles Morales, but in Jersey City, instead of instead of queens you know like that's yeah. that's what our brooklyn wherever miles morales well, is again like talking and, about um, once you put her like, in space, what what doesn't work shit. about brie larson i feel like yeah. it was smart to stick her with other like two two other leads because you know looking at uh, kamala khan going wide-eyed like oh this character's the coolest it kind of makes you want to like captain marvel more than you do and i feel like <laughs> i mean it's sort of like a duct tape solution you know even in those avengers movies i think you can tell that they were trying to come up with some kind of a band-aid for people not liking that character because it's like she shows up with that terrible haircut and it's like we cut to the raccoon people like the raccoon have the raccoon say that she's awesome that'll tell people to like this character yeah, it's classic it's classic tell yeah. the audience this person is the most awesome and powerful person in the world yeah. rather than proving it to them you know and i know the first do you like the first one do you like the first captain marvel movie it has a reputation for being one of the worst i, I think that it's it's again i don't think it's the worst i think it's weak i think that one's weak. I, I think i don't think it's a mess yeah no i i think that's kind of where i landed on i mean they're there are things about it I I like. I think it's just, you know, there's not a lot to that one, and it didn't really stick with me the way some of the other ones had. You know who I feel bad for in, in uh, some of these movies is Lashana Lynch, who like I suspect is a good actress, but like I feel like she just keeps getting like terrible roles. She was the the like older 
Rambo, the the mother. Oh, mom. And yeah. She was like the best friend in, in Captain Marvel. And she showed up in like No Time to Die, that terrible James Bond film. And it's like, I, I think she's a good actress, but she gets these like <laughs> terrible roles. It almost felt like an apology to her when she showed up in uh, Multiverse of Madness as Captain Marvel for like five minutes. It's like, oh, like, you know, it's kind of fun to see her not be just the character who's there to say how cool this white girl is as a superhero you know what i mean how do you define captain marvel as a character they've had a half dozen films yep. to do it now and you say what is the character i'm like she's a space lady with lasers. She's space lady you know I mean, that's lasers. another thing too like, like i thought the um the, the gimmick of these characters every time they use their powers they change places that's a fun idea yeah. you know and it's um you, you get the whole idea of the like okay you know they're going to start off it's going to be a disadvantage because they keep swapping places. They're going to have to come together as a team and learn how to use that and turn it into an advantage. That would work so much better if their powers weren't all like, I guess they all kind of have laser hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, they, they shoot lasers or something out of their hands. Like if they had very distinct powers that were interesting, that would have been fun to see like, oh, there's swap places and they can do this. Like, um, it's you know, if you go back and watch that first X-Men movie, it's like, oh, this feels so quaint and at the end they all have to use their powers together in some way to yeah. like come together as a team and it's like this this that just switch places and shoot different lasers or something i don't well, know it's, it's it's such a weak script too where they'll have to learn how to work together and come together as a team and there's no they like are a team immediately and the scene yeah. are there in the script for um professor marvel to be angry at captain marvel because she abandoned her and well, have to work thought, through that and for captain marvel to be a i thought this was something Kamala that Khan. must have been on one of the streaming shows because i haven't seen the uh, miss marvel show and I, it, like I, I believe it when people say that like she's really charming but i'm like i like it just feels like it's targeted towards like a younger audience than me yeah. and it's kiddie like shit, most I of the shows i've got no no interest in like i don't watch a lot of tv which is one of the reasons i haven't kept up like i haven't seen moon knight i finished like half of hawkeye i like i'm just not watching these shows so like i thought when they're like there's some kind of tension between hawkeye, so i had to have my dad explain the post credits thing in this one <laughs> like, that lady who's got a bow and arrow isn't there a bow and arrow guy already He's like that's <laughs> Hawkeye's child assistant. Um, it's his his kid sidekick. But you know, like when there's um the tension between like Brie Larson and Tiona Paris, I'm like, is this something that was like set up on a TV show? I was trying to figure, and then the movie does like address it at a certain point very kind of quickly and in a yeah. way that's not that but sad. It, it feels very TV the way it's like narratively. It's yeah. a narrative driver. They should have a hard time getting along because she's holding on to her anger. And yes. Captain Marvel wasn't, and it, like, it's all set up there. It's all served up and then it doesn't follow through any of it. You know, like, it, like that Kamala doesn't know what she's doing and as a kid and is annoying to Captain Marvel. Like that would be a yeah. great moment if she meets Captain Marvel and gets her heart broken because they're not twinsies. Instead, Captain Marvel is perfectly not, they're all- That's what I thought was going to happen. Um, you know, and, and yeah, so yeah. the power switch that binds them together doesn't matter as much either. It's a bad script for one. It's a, in some ways it's a very, very bad script. And it also watching it. Well, it feels like, it feels is, like TV, the script. It's like, yeah. we can't have too much. We can't have too much friction between these characters because like, it's worse than that. You know, we, it, we, we've got to maintain a status quo and well, 
It reminds me of when I was a kid and there would be movies like Supergirl or Superman 4 that were comic book movies made by people who didn't really seem to take comics seriously. And it had this idiotic comedy in it that was just so lame-brained and ludicrous. Like the scene with the cats where it's playing memories is like, why did you think you could get... A, why did you think this was good and funny? This is horrible. This is cringeworthy. But why did you think you could get away with it? And then the dance right. scene on the dance planet is so campy and lame. It just reminds me, it turns well, into the pirate movie for one second. You know, I thought this <laughs> was going to come. Well, also, like, um, I, I don't know if you've been watching Strange New Worlds, the Star Trek show, but this season no. they had um, an episode where they, there's like a, a quantum thing and then they all they all communicate as if it's a musical. It, it's yeah. like just an excuse to have a musical episode. And it's it's so much better than when they go to the musical planet that like, that's all I could think of. And, <laughs> you know, again, this is like an episode of a TV show where like, oh, you know, that's fun. They have the musical episode, but um, it, like, it just also, I know that- Like uh, 80s comic book movie that was so campy. Yeah. Even, even the Lester- versions of superman fall into it a a certain extent of campiness where it's just made by people who clearly can't don't know how to take it exactly i mean what what was bad was um it just reminds me of supergirl this movie that that wonder woman yeah 1984 where it's like man i really want to make a film as good as like the supergirl movie or (laughs) superman 4 it's like oh my god what are you doing (laughs) Uh, i mean I, I think like there's probably like more egregious examples. Like I, to me, like the uh, the Flash movie that was like the nadir of like comic book films. I thought like as far as like a three hundred million dollar whatever movie, I thought like it was it was like insultingly bad. Um, this it's more like like you said it's like that's uh, a little embarrassing. Like you know it's not yeah. like like an insult. It's just like oh you kind of cringe at, at some parts. And it's and um, I even am, I'm like I'm even sympathetic to those scenes. I feel like I feel like that's also this is the other lesson that they brought in they rolled the dice on Taika Waititi and James Gunn and Peyton Reed and brought in people who are actually yeah. interesting filmmakers to put interesting spins on the Marvel universe and not just have everything be like Russo type generic professionalism. It worked in those cases, but you look back at Peyton Reed and his track record, he's actually very adventurous. Like Bring It On is an adventurous movie. Down With Love is crazy. I I feel like Peyton Reed got a lot of like- actually huge. He's made Bring It On's a $100 million movie. Yes Man's a $200 million movie. Breakup's a $200 million movie. I I think he mostly got flack because like- Like he has a track record. Wright, who was going to make Ant-Man before him, has more of like a a fan base, I think. And people were upset that- like he wasn't directing this. So I think they kind of took it out in Peyton Reed, which but, but sometimes I, I feel like you can't okay. just put um I uh Chloe Zhao and Nia DaCosta and hope they right. were I mean with Little this. Woods it, is a good movie. I yeah. I never watched that movie and think like, man, the director of this should really do 
like a space lady movie. Yeah, a that that the kind you can be a talented kind of filmmaker and not. Yeah, I mean the talent. The Candyman, Taika Waititi had made the Candyman reboot that she did near DaCosta. Like, yeah, I I think that film is kind of like so bad, interesting failure. Yeah, but like her her as a director to me like at least kind of makes sense for that. This, I mean, I don't know if you heard, there was like that quote going around from the podcast that Nia DaCosta did where she, I'm sure she was like kind of joking, but she was like, oh yeah, I just did the marbles to pay for my student loans and it didn't even cover that. So, you know, you you kind of yeah. get that feeling that like she's, she's, you know, there for the paycheck and it's, yes. you know, hopefully she can go on and do interesting stuff. But I, I think like that's kind of. I, I haven't seen anything that indicates she's capable of doing interesting work between this and and the in the um Candyman movie uh I think it's also very the Candyman movie I find insulting because that m- original film is the work of a very specific idiosyncratic artistic voice and vision and to be like we can just replace Bernard Rose with whoever he doesn't even fucking matter like nobody said anything about him getting flushed down the toilet for it it's it's like you think you can just put anybody into these chairs and have it work out you know what i mean and it's and but marvel kind of did that before giving taika Waititi mm-hmm. a big movie is kind of doing that james gunn's different he also had huge hits he had dawn of the dead he had the scooby-doo movies where it's at the end of the day you have somebody making massively successful movies who you're sort of rolling the dice on i think that they that it came up you know that they that they hit the roles that the roulette spiel uh, spin worked so many times early on that when they started giving them to counterintuitive directors continuously you know to Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden you know where it's like is is this are these the people for it you know because it had worked out so well for them early they just started like whoever might be kind of interesting let's give it a shot and it's sort of not identifying what it worked about those earlier filmmakers and why somebody like Peyton Reed is actually perfect for this shit, you know? And I, I wonder too, if, if the way that things are going, they give these directors less of a chance to do their own thing. I mean, like the last yeah. Ant-Man film, I thought like, I like Peyton Reed too, but I thought that last Ant-Man like felt like maybe it had like seven minutes that were directed by him. You know what I mean? Like it felt like, you know, and they talk about the the pre-visualization where some of these movies, they've got scenes designed before they even bring directors on. Yeah. I Luke think Green a lot of Martel the directors aren't involved talking in, about like she was yeah, I mean, the, the Marvel movie. I, that, um, I mean, that interview with Lucrecia Martel, I thought was really fascinating where she talks about like, like, hey, I was, you know, they offered Black Widow to me and I was kind of getting into the idea. And I thought like, oh, maybe I can actually do something interesting with this. And I was coming up with ideas for the action. And they were, the response was like, oh, no, like, don't you worry your pretty little head about the action. We'll we'll take care of that. So she's like, what's the point of directing an action movie where you can't direct the action? Yeah. And you watch Black Widow and like Kate Shortland is a filmmaker. I, you know, I thought Lore was fantastic, but you can tell that like some of those scenes were not directed by her like you know like it doesn't even have a director for some of it yeah and when they talk about the the post-production on some of these films like i mean people were giving Nia DaCosta flack for working on her her next movie while the marvels was in post-production but i like i think it's probably true of a lot of these films where you know you hear taika watiti talk about the special effects for love and thunder in that um, interview that was going around and it's clear that like he wasn't involved with the post-production he's seeing some of this stuff for the first time so like, 
you know, maybe for films that are so post-production heavy, maybe they should be involved and maybe they should have an idea of how to direct the action. I actually thought the action in the Marvels was better than some of the more recent yeah. Marvel movies. Some of them, like the action was like incoherent. And this at least had like, I could follow it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like it's been like a particularly bad year for big Hollywood action films. Yeah. Where like some of the action I, I think has just been like incompetent or terrible. Um, I might talk a little bit about it when we do like our year in review, but like even some of the stuff that was getting like praise for doing like, oh, doing it for real, like the Mission Impossible, the most recent one, I thought like the action was terrible. Like, I, I, I don't know, people, I feel like I'm being like gaslit by people who are like, no, no, it's actually really good. And I'm like, like, <laughs> No, that movie, did, did we watch that movie the same is Fastlight thing? Central. That movie, I didn't see it. People clearly don't like it. And there's like a collective like, no, it's good. Even though no, it's good. clearly don't like it. I know. Like, people come out of it having not liked it and are like, all right, maybe not as good as the others. But, you know, that's like. Well, like I got to, I mean, I got like, I kind of said something about the, the latest Mission Impossible on Twitter. And I got like a lot of, <laughs> I got some, some flag. I kind of knew it was going to happen. But like, I'm like like it's i get i get what you want it to be but like pretending it's going to be that isn't going to make it that's that what, and that's what feels fucking insane to me is p all these people are like marvel movies are the death of cinema right it's great mission impossible top gun oh. and it's like oh my fucking god they're the same <laughs> i mean and like, whatever their virtues and flaws are they are identical i guess one has real stunts and if that's your definition well, cinema is but like, it's like what's even the point of doing a real stunt when you like put like gray ugly cgi over everything on top of it anyway yeah and there's clearly like a lot of cgi in this movies like it's like people say oh like there's no cgi in the top gun maverick like do you have eyes like <laughs> <laughs> what you know it, I, it's like a some kind of i guess you know it, it's a marketing gimmick more than anything to say oh we're gonna put yeah. people up in real planes but like the you know the the planes Ooh, are CGI'd I'm over. And, like, I'm not. I'm not here to to. Shift okay. All right. But like, you know, I, but what what's that, funny to me, like for all the talk right. about like, oh, they're doing it for real, and like Tom Cruise is really running on that train. Yeah. Like for all of that, if you shoot it in such a bland way and throw like you know bland CGI over top, go back and look at the the Brian De Palma Mission Impossible at the end when he's on the train, which is completely fake projected backgrounds and like, and it's it's a million times more interesting and more exciting because he's thinking about like how to make an interesting sequence, you know, like I, I almost brought this up when we talked about the quest for fire, we were talking about that, that movie magic and like, yeah, you know, there's something to be said for going out and doing it for real. And, you know, sometimes you should do things for real, but also like, like I will take a, like a well-constructed sequence that's completely phony, that looks good over like, Oh, you know, but did you know they really did it for real? And the shot looks like shit, you know? Yeah, for sure. Can I say, because I'll never have a chance to say this on the podcast. It'll never <laughs> okay. come up. The, for years later, what is this? 30 years later, that still bothers me about Mission Impossible 1. They set up the gum that's the green and red gum. And when you put it together, yes. it explodes. How does nobody in the movie eat that piece of gum? That's why you set up. The <laughs> You're waiting for, for John Renault to chew on the gum and then his head explodes. Exactly. I know. Exactly. <laughs> that's what. That's why you make exploding <laughs> gum. It's not so you can slap it on a helicopter later. Yeah. You know. At any rate, and I'm sure that's the palma being like, no, too obvious. And it's like probably palma. Sometimes you got to do the obvious. Some sometimes you kind of outsmart yourself to the point where yeah. it's just stupid. You know. You you gotta <laughs> sometimes you gotta take the obvious route. I know. 
but uh, uh, I was going to talk more about the the digital effects. Like yeah. the reason why I brought up Iron Man two, you know, the, like it's sort of funny. Like now, now I think people are much more favorable towards it. But at the time, that was considered like the worst Marvel movie. Yeah, for like a couple of years, it was like, oh, like Iron Man two, that's the worst one. And you go back and watch it now, and it's like, oh, like you know, the villains are actually pretty cool. And like that scene at the racetrack is, yeah, yeah. Like I, I love the scene at the racetrack with Mickey Rourke and, and um, the CGI is exciting. It looks so good. And like, I was reading the, uh, the art book for it and they're talking about like that briefcase that opens up into the armor and they're like, you know, we did the math to make sure that like all the pieces could actually fit in that briefcase. And yeah. like, it, it just looks great. And like, I like, I like seeing digital effects on the big screen. I'm not like an anti-digital effects person. I, I, enjoy it but i feel like you know that people have written about the kind of weird crunch situation that a lot of these marvel films have put digital effects artists under where clearly like you know they're putting out something that's inferior to how it looked uh you know over a decade ago yeah and I, yeah. you know there's a lot of shots in this that like just look kind of like bad and cheap and that's part partly what i mean when i feel like it it's become more like the tv shows where you know, it's just, it doesn't look like something that should be on the big screen. You know, it's like, oh, maybe this is okay on streaming, but uh, personality to it. There's a lack of artistic yeah. personality to it, which is something that TV generally suffers from when you have the directors and people come in and they sort of do yeah. it house style and it's showrunners or whatever running it, the ability to put artistic personality into any given shot or scene or costume or production design is lowered by those people who aren't there on the on the day-to-day -day running it, making those calls. You know, this movie has that same problem of, of what is the personality of it? The two times the personality shines through are the dancing planet and the cat memories playing, and those are awful. <laughs> those you know are so it's, it's sort true. of like it, it's sort of like you want it to have more personality, yep. it, but the total lack and there's no theoretically when you have a big Hollywood movie like that, you can get by when there's no artistic personality. If the star's personality, you know, I, th I think about star auteurs a lot like, you know, Buster mm -hmm. Keaton, Harold Lloyd types where they're not the directors uh, all the time. And Keaton, sometimes he is obviously, but, uh, but the personality of it still shows through because they're, yeah. because they take over it. You know what I mean? And that happens with musicals a lot where if Fred Astaire is the star auteur of Fred Astaire movies, it sort of doesn't matter who directed those films uh, most of the time. Um, although obviously some are better directed than others. I don't want to completely diminish the director's contribution to that. Yeah, but if, if you, you have an a actress star auteur, who yeah. had a role where she could really showcase uh, her charisma and really shine in that role, you okay. would like all the special effects and all that stuff you could kind of let yeah. slide because it would be fun to watch them you know and, and she's a void it's very weird it's easy to say she's acting like she doesn't care in this movie but it's hard to say what that means it's just it's just a total flat i, I think i don't know if she's character. trying to be aloof and it's like like i sometimes i think about like the bruce willis trajectory to his performances where like you know you go and look at like moonlighting and Die Hard, and he's very energetic and yeah, da, 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 da. and then like in the 90s he kind of slides into like much cooler and he's talking like this and he's mellow and it's like he's too cool for this and too cool for that and then like you know you jump forward another 10 years and it's like he's too too cool to 
to give a shit like it stops being cool at a certain point and it starts to become like oh wait this isn't this isn't something i want to watch you know harrison ford i think is kind of somebody who's a little bit like that also where it's like the, the i don't care i'm too cool for the movie i'm in thing like worked at a certain point but you've, you've taken it past the point where it's like yeah. entertaining to watch you know I, but I, I don't know if that's what she's even going for but something like it's a void you know, there's just a void yeah. at the center of this yeah. movie. And I like, I think of the three, Kamala Khan is the best. That's the easiest role too. The excitable young one who gets all the yeah, yeah. lines and gets to screw up and learn. That That's the Like when I saw it in the role. theater, the, the line that got the biggest laugh, I think in the entire thing is when the, the two other marbles fly off of the spaceship and she's just kind of standing there and like all these, uh, you know, space people are looking at her and she's like, can't fly. Miss <laughs> uh, Marvel, the Captain Marvel has to like fly back. She's like, "Don't talk to them," and like takes her away. But it, that that got like I think the the one kind of genuine big laugh out of the movie was her. It was, it's just, incredible, you know, how many of the jokes in this die movie. That's another problem. The bad lesson they learned that is to have the movies be jokey, and the movies get increasingly jokey the more they go on. Robert Downey yeah. Jr. is a, a comedic presence. Who can generate humor but he's not necessarily jokey in those movies he doesn't have like setups and punchlines continuously he's more of like a schwarzenegger type who's naturally knows how to be funny and humorous without in, not in his non-comedies when you put him in a yeah. comedy it's, it's kind of a disaster but there's a reason they were always like let's try him in comedies he's really really yeah. funny you know and robert downey jr has that that same thing in the downey jr iron man's have that and the there's a kind of humor to the chris evans movies that have a little bit of quipping in them when when gun and makes the guardians of the galaxy and reed makes the paul rudd ant-man movies those become like almost overt comedies and that yes. style of it's the guardians of the galaxy. And as much as I like you, those are my two favorites. The guardians of the galaxyification of the Marvel movies is, is unsustainable and does not translate out of them. And it becomes more and more the thing where it's, you know, very quippy. These, this, this movie Marvel's is a comedy. You know, if you had to put on risen, it's a it's a superhero comedy. And I would say most of the Marvel movies are superhero comedies at a certain point. And they're disastrous. Thor Love and Thunder is a straight up comedy. It's barely even a superhero movie. It's, I was just about to say it's barely a superhero movie. Yeah, it's um, and then like that's at odds with the story it's trying to tell, which is about like Natalie Portman dying yeah. of cancer and thor trying to get over their relationship and uh, christian bale angry at god or whatever like you know that it's like wait why are we making jokes here you know it's, it's at odds really, with the story really you're trying hard. to tell comedy yeah. is really really hard and if you don't hire a, a comedy writers and directors it's it's doubly hard on it if you think yes. you're come in and just you know have it be funny uh, all of the actors have to be up for it too. and whatever Brie Larson is she's not a comedic presence even slightly nor is is Professor Marvel a comedic presence at all I don't know anything about that actress but she certainly does not in this movie demonstrate the ability to be funny in any way shape like dear dear white people she's funny in um but the young the young woman is oh, the, the, quite funny uh, she's also sitcom trained clearly you know yeah she's she's a uh, sitcom funny which i think also kind of contributed to that feeling of like i'm i'm watching a 
well, a the TV parents, show. If you're watching a TV parents, episode, you know, it, it's like that sense of humor. Are like something out. They're like, I. You sit there watching, and you're like, is is this? They're like out of kids' convenience or something like that. Or no, they're worse. They're like out of <laughs> an early Simpsons episode. They're out of. They're like the the one yeah, shot yeah. characters on Family Matters. You watch them, and you're like. <laughs> I guess in the modern world, they've done the calculus to prove this isn't racist somehow. But if this was made 20 years ago, you'd be like, this is the most racist shit I've ever seen in my life. This is fucked up, you know? Like if it was, you know, they, they're the kind of people who would be like the neighbors on Married with Children. You know what I mean? Like they're that kind of level of just like sitcom broad, like... Uh, every um, cliche adhering to it you know of uh, like ra fucking racial stereotypes it's nuts but i guess whoever's in charge of that the dei officer down at marvel did the calculus the sensitivity readers all read it and you know did their calculus and determined that the shit is not is not racist anymore so i i don't fucking know but um you mentioned christian bale this is the other bad lesson that i think the MCU learned um, is that our villains can be like sort of weak and forgettable and and not really forceful and and sort of irrelevant to the films and the Marvels. This one, she's a nothing. This actress Which, is a nothing. This character is a nothing. Her carrying seems, around the hammer is yeah. You know, know, she, she's like a like a, a thinner version of uh, Ronan the Accuser, who is like. <laughs> very thin to begin with yeah uh which i actually thought like the setup for the character it seems like she could have had yeah a decent motivation like that's not a bad thing we're like oh yeah uh, captain marvel tried to fix her planet and she only made it worse and now she's angry at captain marvel i'm like okay that's like a th that's a solid the script is there whoever whoever there's yeah. around yeah. these script beats i think like they but got... also talking about the the comedy like that's like really you know if you wanted to kind of tell a better version of the story it would have started with um uh, captain marvel going and saving this planet or she thinks she's saving it and it plunges it into like a apocalyptic nightmare and you're like oh like you know she thought she was doing something good it had these horrible consequences and you see that and this character's coming out of it and she's gonna get uh revenge on her like oh okay like that would actually but it's it's like the film it's too lighthearted to even even really address that like the way they kind of dance around like oh captain marvel did this thing that she messed up uh like the, the it's like at odds with the tone that they're trying to commit to which is very kind of light and goofy me you know goofy 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 and that's actually you know with with is his name gore the god butcher he's the best thing oh, about yeah. Love it under and you go, yeah. Oh, I, I loved like you, all three or four of his performances, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if you knew how if they if they cared about working with the villains in a serious way and giving villains equal yeah. thing to the heroes, which is a lot of comic books, you know, there's a reason Magneto is as famous as Professor X in the yeah. comic books. The villains, the Joker and Batman, when you build your villains correctly, they sustain a series and sustain audience interest in a way 
that competes with the hero. And the Marvel movies said, oh, we don't ever have to do that. We just have Thanos that we're all building up to. And that'll be the only one that anybody's name remembers from any of these movies. You know, they'll go, oh, that actor's in it. He's pretty good, but they won't remember anything about it. And this is like the nadir of that. This is just the most like the just wasted, like the wasted opportunity, wasted villain you know, it's it's got some stiff competition as far as like who you know Obadiah Stone from Ant Man. You know, oh like, he, yeah, he's you know. <laughs> pretty bad. But, uh, you know, but or like it, but it's down there as far as just yeah. like she's just some lady. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it'd be more interesting if she really was just some lady. If she was like the person who survived the disaster and is like a leader to her people who has no superpowers and is afraid to fight Marvel one-on-one rather than get in a fist fight with her. This movie also, this is a a minor complaint that I could get over if the movie's better. This movie also has this, the superhero power bleed of like, what are they all invincible? Aren't they just some ladies? Like how are they falling out of the sky and getting thrown through stone and being fine? I know Captain Marvel is invincible, but isn't Professor Marvel just fucking somebody? Like she can survive getting hit in the gut with a super hammer, you know? Like, I, like don't people's bones like there's no stakes when it's just yeah, like yeah. everybody can go flying around and the well, powers are ill-defined. that's partly what i mean when i you i know? said like you could have done more with that gimmick of them switching places and it would have been cool to see like maybe you know that you know one character does something and she switches places so captain marvel can take that punch or you know like just be more clever with that i i think like that you know you could have had a lot of fun with that idea like that's it's neat you know you can do you could do a lot with that potentially oh, and but, also uh, the obvious setup of is you you have a fight where everything goes wrong and they're not coordinating properly and and it's a disaster yeah. for them. it's a setback from which they've got to recover and teaches them that they've got to work together as a group and then yeah. you have one where they coordinate and it's and it like kind of does that stuff it's just such a it's such a you, you get the little montage where they, they yeah. work it all out they figure yeah. it all out like it's the sort of the most boring like, way to kind of address that like for the story um, executives who's signing off on the story beats and saying yes this is fine yeah. it's hitting the story beats but it's just such a bad script that it can't even do the minimal effort required to move like, the um, beats properly i mean there's that moment in the spider-man movie uh where, where you have uh toby mcguire and andrew garfield show up and they're trying the first time they work together it's like oh like we don't know how to work as a team like we've always been like working by ourselves and it like i thought that was actually neat because you know it, it gives an excuse to sort of let uh tom holland take the lead because he's the one who's had team experience and like you know you do something like that with these characters where like they have to figure out how to how to actually logistically work as a team instead of just saying oh we had a we had a training montage that solved all their problems we had a juggling but- montage we had a juggling uh, montage. Yeah, it's funny you said earlier though that the reviews with talking about the box office. There's so many celebratory reviews of this of like the comic book reign is is over the reign of terror. Yeah, yeah. so much celebratory. But you were like the reviews are never like uh, uh, they focus on too much. It di- it did poorly, so it's a bad movie. I feel like with the Marvel movies, there's no actual mention of like the reason this movie is doing bad is because it overtly looks bad and is bad, you know? And that's actually part of this and why the movies are not working is, you know, whatever Eternals is, 
Shang-Chi works because that was actually a cool trailer and that movie looked good. Regardless of how right. great it is, you go, oh, that'd be cool to see that. Eternals, it's, it's, and uh... you're like, who the fuck wants to see this? And that's <laughs> obvious to regular human beings. Right. Like industry insiders and the, the movie, the MCU despisers, to them, it's all one big mush. And I feel like that's like, can't you see well, you, the you difference? You do have these like sort of YouTube pundit people where it's like, oh, I guess the person who thought the last five Marvel things were the worst thing ever is going to think this Marvel thing is the worst thing ever. You know, <laughs> like there are people like that. But um, yeah, 50 uh, year I old mean, men whose job is to hate Marvel. Movies. <laughs> 50 year I mean, old men you know, I, I, uh, just like, I, I, I tried watching She-Hulk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, because I, I love the comics. Uh, I've yeah. got, you know, those comics are great. Little, I actually little She-Hulk. The next one I was. Th thinking. Those comics are fantastic, like the '80s John Byrne run. I watched a little bit of the TV show, and you know what I did? I stopped watching it. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> talk about it. I, I moved on with my life. Yeah, uh, you know, and there's people who are clearly like watching it for for clicks, for for mm -hmm. hate watching stuff, and for you know, you get this weird kind of parasitic relationship where like. I mean, that's where their income comes from. Some of these YouTubers, like they're, they're professional people who, who you know, talk about how terrible the latest She-Hulk was. And I think Crazy. Kathleen Kennedy is going to get fired any week now. You know, like that's the, that's the whole that was your fucking uh, life model is, for their... Is to just get up and think of... That's their job. Like... About like how much you think the Guardians of Galaxy is dumb. Like there's people who have been living <laughs> that for 10 years now. For, for like, yeah, yeah, about that long. <laughs> Longer, um, whose just whole job is like, these movies are crap that aren't real movies that are killing cinema and just- I mean, to... you, you brought up the Eternals and I feel like, like one of the issues with that was like, okay, we have an Oscar winning director. We're going to let her make like, it's going to have superheroes, but it's going to be like a real movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's one of the reasons why that movie's like terrible is it's not interested in having like any any sort of fun or entertaining value. It's like full of portentous shots of people staring off, and it's like, oh, like did she 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 was like trying to make like a like a Zack Snyder movie or something? I don't know. Made by was somebody thinking. who clearly does not have any relationship to the genre right. the way James yeah. does. But it's also, you know, I don't think Taika Waititi has any relationship to the genre either. So that's what I mean why they rolled the dice and learned a bad lesson is that you can bring some guy in and who in the first meeting is like, look, I don't really know who Thor is and he'll do a great yeah. Thor movie. You know, I think they had that experience enough that that they they took that idea as maybe that's why we're successful is we can keep hiring these people who seem like weird choices who clearly don't give a shit about the comics and i don't want to be one of those like oh the source material guys because the james no, no i movies take a lot of liberties with the source yeah. material and he makes source material people angry and you know suicide squad makes source material people furious you know and... what do you mean you change the fundamental powers of polka dot man <laughs> <laughs> I, I i don't know if that person actually exists but um but there is, there is a measure of that but, of, but like, i can't you know what i'm saying they is partly Mongola. like these more... what is that character's name Oh, <laughs> I, I forget now, but um, but like these more recent Marvel movies, like, do you think that there is something kind of wrong on a production level when you have Taika Waititi coming back to do Love and Thunder and James Gunn, who, I mean, he got fired and then brought back to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and like they're not, 
they're clearly not as good as uh as ragnarok or guardians of the galaxy volume 2 like there's something like, clearly kind of wrong with the fine. with the system you know yeah it's fine i think it's the only one of the ones that have been made in like the past three years though that are that are fine I think they've all been messes. Well, the reason, look, the reason this is not an original insight is that making it an extended universe where everything interconnects is very, very exciting early on. And then it becomes a burden the longer it goes, especially when mm -hmm. it's building to we're going to do Infinity War. And everybody knows what that it's building to. And everybody knows what those comics are, even if they haven't yeah. read. And we're building up to this. And then once you hit that, there's nowhere to go. You're, you've, you've essentially created one yeah. big miniseries and the miniseries is I mean, now The, over, um, the comic know? books run into these problems. That's why they keep, like every couple of years, it's like, oh, I guess we're going back to number one. There's some kind of a reboot. There's some kind of an event. They're they're yeah. starting over from scratch. You know, I, I feel like even the comics write themselves into these problems. But um, there's no question. But that's, yeah. that's why they, they start feeling stale and why I think Guardians of the Galaxy three works better than a lot of them is that it's we're going to be our own self-contained movie and this is the send-off to the guardians of the galaxy and we're, we're not just going to be part of the big avengers movie send-off we're getting right, our right. one that's separate and so it has it's like a coda to it i think if he made guardians of the galaxy four it's like i don't know how that's anything well, other than if they do, it's probably not going to have james gunn it's probably not going to have half the cast it's going to be well it's i don't so know what it would be but... what they're going to do now it's yeah clear it's i mean clear i that it's they can't keep going with like people the multiverse stuff is a burden the um you know do, do you want to talk about the end credit scene for marvels because it just feels like flailing at this point like what yeah. are you doing like kelsey Grammer as beast from like x-men the last stand like what what are you thinking like <laughs> you just you know it went from like these uh teases at the end of the movies that everyone was always so excited for it's like oh they've got a plan like where's it going to go next to now it's like throwing shit at the wall and hoping well, something anything is going to stick his child assistant i don't know if you had any thoughts about the end credit scene but it's like well, no it's well it's it, it the end credits it is like it's exactly what you're saying and it's also it does feel like a tv show because you have two people from the tv show talking and if you haven't watched the tv show you don't really know who the fuck are those people are you don't know and it's what's the excitement of like we're going to make a super team too and it's like well, we've already seen the making a super team with the Avengers. Now it's the super team of of lame wads that we don't care about. You know, it's like when the when the new warriors show up and Speedball and Night Thrasher are there. It's just at a certain point, the burden that they put on themselves is just to make everything interconnected. You know, nobody's ever like, is there superhero fatigue on Batman and Joker movies? It's like no, because they make their own things and they keep retailering them to whatever that feels like might be exciting and interesting to an audience. And these things, again, it's like you're saying, it's a TV show. They all have to look sort of similar to fit into the same world. You can't mm -hmm. make a Marvel movie that looks like the Batman in terms of how it's shot, because you got to have it look like all of the other Marvel movies that it interrelates to. It's just not, it's just not on the table in some way, let alone like if somebody pitched like a clever, like, Let's do a single take, you know, a Marvel movie from stop to start. I don't think you could get interesting pitches made because they've set this burden of, no, this is a, a giant TV show and everything has to look the same the way every episode of a TV show has to look the same. 
um, maybe even worse so because some adventurous TV shows have one-off episodes that are wildly different than what they normally do, you know? And I, I think that Marvel doesn't even have that in them to do it. I mean, it's sort of funny. They, um, they played the trailer for the Marvel Echo series. Yeah. Which is like a character I never thought like I'd ever want to see a show on. And I'm like, this this, this looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I was like, oh, this looks this looks a lot better than I was expecting. Um, especially because like a lot of the like the big name characters get TV shows that felt like crummy or like yeah. just, I don't low know, like rent. low rent somehow. Um, and it, I, I think like talking about, you know, oh, I guess they're trying to put together Kamala Khan and the Hawkeye's kid sidekick who's taken over kind of team. Um, I don't know if that's going to be Young Avengers, but it seems like, you know, they've had a problem with trying to have new characters fill in those gaps left behind, like that first wave of stars that have kind of moved on at this point. Yeah. You, know, you have characters that have been killed off and you have had actors who are like, you know, they had a good run. Now they're, they're moving on. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, they haven't really filled those gaps. I was always disappointed yeah. talking about style. I always felt guilty I didn't watch the werewolf show that was filmed in black and white. It's exactly what I'm complaining about here, not being adventurous. And it's like, and then I didn't watch Christmas werewolf, whatever that. <laughs> Christmas werewolf. Um, uh, werewolf by night. Werewolf uh, by night. Yeah. With, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal. It's, as opposed it's to pretty neat. As opposed to the daytime werewolves. What does that fucking well, mean? maybe that's the show i should be watching that, that sounds like a sitcom werewolf by day um uh yeah no that, that was neat and then like they, they later came out with like oh and here's the colorized version for folks who don't like black and white but um it, like I, I think like do you think this is some... actually the end of like what's happening with marvel and that there's going to be a hard reboot in some way that they're going to sort of scrap plans or do you think they're going to power through it and we're going to get another four or five years of this stuff i think i think it's a long long ship and it's hard to turn so i think we're still going to get a couple of years of this direction i think it, it's going to take a while to steer that ship but they probably are i think you can't look at the numbers and realize that like something isn't working and you you can see the signs of like uh you know they were going to do that armor wars tv show with um don Cheadle and the girl from uh wakanda forever the american girl yeah and it's like oh now we're going to do it as a movie i'm like okay like they must realize like something isn't working with these tv shows and you know they were talking about doing like a pg-13 blade film which seems like you know it's like stop and start yeah constantly and it's like okay now it's going to be rated r and re we're redoing the script so like somebody must be saying like okay we need to rethink what we're doing what we're doing um because some of this is clearly not working i mean the big kind of obvious one is the kang who's supposed to be the big bad for this whole new era of, of marvel who was the bad guy in uh, ant-man quantumania and he showed up in loki and it's like <laughs> Kang is the kind of character that comic yep. book fans try and convince you is awesome. But if you're a regular person, you're like, this blue dude, this yeah. sucks. I, he sucks. You know what I, I mean? Like, and this is even like, not even like the Jonathan like, Majors. No, no, Kang is awesome phase of the movie. 
Bruno Kang is awesome. They're the comic book guy at the store trying to convince you that things that you're like, I don't know, man, are actually really cool in a way that you don't need to be convinced Spider-Man and Batman are cool. You know what I mean? It's sort of like even setting aside like any kind of controversy with Jonathan Majors. Yeah. um, Did you see that movie Devotion about the Korean War? No. Where him and the guy from uh, Top Gun are like pilots? No. Oh, I, I saw that like early, early in the year, like January. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And I almost, almost tweeted out like, oh, Glenn Powell and Jonathan Majors are really good in it. It's going to suck when one of them turns out to be a cannibal <laughs> as a joke. And I was like this close to tweeting it. And like, my friend is like, don't tweet that out. Somebody's going to say that's racist. Somebody's going to say that's like, just just don't. And I was like, okay. But then like, <laughs> I'm like, I should have tweeted it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that character is clearly like not he's not what it needs right now you need somebody who's going to be imposing and well it's threatening just, and well, like the multiverse is cool but it's cheap juice to be like fantastic yeah. four guy is here it's just cheap it's cheap heat and you can't sustain it. And they and the and it's I, all I think like, a burden. You don't want the Marvel stories to be yeah. giant cosmic stories. Why does it cross the well, spider? Also, like absolutely you know, the, the, the like whole idea of like, oh, we can now we can bring in like that, you know, Kelsey Grammer beast from the X-Men. It's like that series was played out. Yeah. That's why they had to reboot it. Like yeah. it, everyone was like, you know, by the time um people kind of forget, but like when Iron Man was coming up, people were not. Psych. People were skeptical okay. because they're like, oh, these like X-Men movies have ran their course. Like these films are done. Uh, you know, it's sort of funny, like what you said about uh, Batman Forever, how like after a certain amount of time, everything becomes respectable because it's like now you could you could have some of these characters show up through a multiverse thing. And I guess people would be excited. But like you said, I think it's it's well, pretty played out. And like the multiverse of the madness, I thought was smart to not not delve too far into that people said you know when they were talking about reshooting multiverse of madness that like oh uh spider-man made a bunch of money and that was very successful with bringing in uh toby mcguire and andrew garfield and these villains and i think actually like you know that one did it fairly well as far as like giving a little bit of closure to those older ones and and that should have been it that should have been the last one (laughs) they should have moved on from that but you know, people said like, "Oh, multiverse of madness." People were upset when that came out because it didn't have like a bunch of cameos. People were, you know, there were rumors like, "Oh, like maybe we're gonna have Tom Cruise as Iron Man and stuff like that." But uh, you know, that film I think sort of wisely kind of pour through those multiverse kind of cameo characters very quickly uh, and didn't really dwell on it too much. But it seems like, oh, you know, that's the big thing, and that's how we're gonna bring in x-men and fantastic four and that's where we're going and you know there's a new deadpool film that's on the way which is also multiverse focused and it's like i don't know man i i think like by the time by the time it gets there people are going to be so sick of it because it's not just these marvel movies that are doing that like uh, you know there's other franchises other things that are kind of doing the same thing right now so it's like And it's just, you know, so far away from the human aspect of the story. And that's that's because I was thinking watching Marvels is like, is it even possible to make a superhero movie that feels engaging more? And it's like, well, that's really dumb. Across the Spider-Verse is fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's a multiverse movie, too. But it's so tied to 
what the Marvel's core brand of the comics was, is like teenagers mm -hmm. suffering through teen angst, trying to balance what feels like the weight of the world and his talents against failure yeah. and irresponsibility. Those, though, you can tell those stories eternally unless you start sending everybody out into space and, you I know, mean, the most powerful. The flip side, the, the yeah. bad example of the other side of that multiverse thing, I think it's uh, the Flash movie. Yeah. Where you have like, you know, oh, look, we got Michael Keaton's Batman. Everyone loves him. And he's completely divorced. Like that character didn't exist in a vacuum. He was part of a whole world that was built around that character, this sort of expressionistic world. And like you plop him in and he's, you know, you have yeah. characters making quips about Back to the Future next to him. Like, you know, the Tim Burton Batman movies, they take place in like, you know, 1940, 80s. There is no Back to the Future. There's no, like, it's supposed to be in the same, you know, universe as all this other stuff. And it, like, he completely, Keaton's wonderful, but like that character completely falls flat when you divorce him from everything that he was kind of built to fit in with. Or you bring in like Michael When you divorce Shannon, him from like, dumb uh, jokes about cold soup. <laughs> well uh you know let's keep it to like batman returns that that one's better but uh <laughs> oh no that is in batman returns this yeah. cold suit yeah um, batman returns is a movie that every time i watch it i'm like this is great and i get why people love it everyone is acting like all of this terrible comedy and awful quips like floor meat face aren't in this movie. Okay. Every I, single line. Every the, single, the dialogue every aside, it, it was like... Great. Every single line is terrible. Okay. <laughs> aside from the terrible dialogue, Batman Returns is a is like a, you know, top tier Supergirl film for me. But... Uh... No, it is for... I love it. That's what I'm saying. Every <laughs> single image in the film is is my favorite image yeah, yeah. in the superhero movie. Every single line is awful. You know, okay. That, I, that's my... I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, you know, or like the Flash movie also they brought in Michael Shannon, who I thought was like one of the few things that really worked in Man of Steel. Yeah. And it's because like, oh, like, you know, that character has a motivation and it, like you get the feeling that like from his point of view, he's actually the hero of the movie. And it's like, how yeah. how dare Superman turn his back on his own people and yada da. But like you just plop him in without any of that motivation, and he's just like I'm the bad guy. I'm going to blow up the world because and it's like, he's, it's like awful. And you know, Michael Shannon is like, clearly he, he's like heroically phoning it in that movie. If you watch it, it's like, like he's, he's putting effort into how much he's phoning it in. But, um, you know, and then like everyone talked about like all the terrible kind of CGI cameos at the end where you have like CGI Christopher Reeve and all that stuff where it's like just this desperate kind of play to like, you know, those things made me feel something once upon a time. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, you're right that like Spider-Verse is, is the good example of that where it almost feels like, I mean, you know, it, it's fun having these different versions of Spider-Man, but like, Aside. The, but like you can watch Spider-Verse as your first Spider-Man piece of media ever. And it still works on its own, Yeah, you know, and it's still like emotionally satisfying and, and entertaining and exciting and funny. And like, it doesn't need, it doesn't need any of that history or, you know, attachments to other things to work that, that uh, you know, I, I think it's like a good example of um, whatever that is, but I don't know, you know, where, where, where do you think these Marvel films are going? Because I think like, you know, they're, they probably are trying to correct. They probably are trying to get out of like the hell that is streaming. I think, you know, you look at like, I mean, I didn't watch secret invasion, but it, like, 
they got to know that like spending $200 billion or whatever on these shows is like a bad idea. <laughs> like it's clearly not paying off for them. Um, I, I think to me, I think Marvel's represents a clear expression of creative and artistic mm -hmm. exhaustion with this in a way that even the other bad ones don't. This, this one feels like a, a real tap out moment. Really, truly mm -hmm. it does. But uh, it's also funny, you know, I, like I said, I see them with my dad and my son and my dad has all of them on Blu-ray and we've watched them uh, repeatedly and a lot with my son growing up. And, you know, he was, he was too little at the beginning. You know, I remember taking him to civil war and being like, ah, is he, is he going to be able to sit in the theater and concentrate yeah. on us? And, um, and it sort of feels to me like, I don't know if the Marvel movies are done, uh, but I'm done with them for sure. Right. They're like, I'm not going to go see one because, Parker's out. Parker's not interested. And it, and it really does feel like he sees them as like a, a gesture of like kindness and well, respect to uh... me and my dad. And so it it does feel like I think there's a lot of people who um, I remember when Toy Story 3 came out, there were a lot of young people talking on the Internet about like the first one came out when I was five and this one is coming out when I'm going away to college. And yeah. you feel the sea change at Pixar there where it's just like the people who grew up with them are growing out of it. And that's and that's really when stuff gets rebooted and the cycle changes and and the, the cycle moves on is when the people who grew up with it are not interested and are moving on to other things. And I clearly see that in, in my son in some very fundamental way. And I don't know that there's any way, like all of the mistakes I've gone through, that the bad lessons they learned over the course of the years... I don't know that there's any way to make a good MCU movie anymore without throwing out the essentials of what making an MCU movie is at this point. You know what I mean? So that's why I feel like I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm not going to go like unless I will probably go with my dad because my dad loves seeing them and I'll and I'll keep going until, sure. until my my dad is gone. But on my I mean, own, that was sort of my like the reason. I had some people like ask me why why I went to see the Marvels in the first place. They're like, clearly you can tell that it's not going to be great, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah but it's the, it's a new Marvel movie. <laughs> I almost feel like you know it's it's just something you do, which, uh, you know, maybe maybe not anymore, especially because like I haven't been watching these shows and it feels like yeah, I, I think I'm, clearly that's something they're gonna hopefully yeah. well, try afterwards, to fix. Afterwards, my but, dad um, was explaining to me who everybody was because he watches all the show and yeah, who yeah. people are and what's that, and he's still really engaged for him it's like the childhood dream come true as like a comic book nerd totally Her stuff yeah. was so derided and comics as a medium were so derided you know it's funny it reminds me of when i was young and especially my dad was young the relationship to superhero movies of this is destroying cinema comics were seen as this is not an art form this is destroying yeah. reading this is destroying literature this trash and now i think everybody who has a brain in their head can at least say well at least the ec comics are fucking great but i think there's no one left on earth who's like comics as a medium destroyed anything and aren't valid on their own and i think the superhero movies will have a similar like as people get over they'll be able to go back and look at what their virtues are but i think that also treating them as real movies and having um some measure of taste you have to point to this and say this ain't this ain't working this ain't good this ain't worth mm -hmm. seeing it now you know i um, remember a while ago 
branch. Uh, I think when you were talking about swashbuckler it. movies or maybe yeah. swishbucklers, but you, you made a really <laughs> astute connection. You said like, you know, a lot of people compare these superhero movies to the Western as a genre. Yeah. And you said it, they have a lot more in common with the swashbuckler. And it seems like, you know, swashbuckler as a genre does fall into these kind of generational like rise and falls. <laughs> they uh, They do seem to have that sort of a pattern um well swashbucklers are really it's like they're popular in the silent era but it's you know captain blood and whatever year that is 34 up through the early 50s it's it's like less than two decades that they're on top and then they become mm -hmm. sort of kitty stuff and sort of crappy and yeah. they're you know they're like people will give a, a stab at them every now and then for decades because they were so profitable and grew up with them and the swishbucklers sort of grow out of that uh, can we still do this sort of thing but it's it's they were on top less amount of time than the marvel movies have been on top you know what i mean and i think that it is a reasonable comparison that a lot of people compare them to like the disaster movies of the late 70s and it's like that's like four years and like 20 movies tops 15 movies tops you're talking about and that's a really poor comparison but it's also the swashbucklers, I also think, are an interesting comparison because I love those movies, but they are a little neglected by history. People who know what they're talking about know Captain Blood and Crimson Pirate, yes. and Quentin Durward are great movies. And then, well, you know, talking about like when they start to get a little bit kiddish, it's like, you know, some if somebody asked me, like, should I go and see the Marvels? I'm like, ah, like, uh, do you have a kid? Yeah. Uh, exactly. may, may, maybe just stay at home and watch it on streaming. You know, that's kind of my what, what my answer would be. It's like, you know, it's probably like a decent night to watch on uh, Disney Plus or something like that. You know, go go if you have a kid, maybe. I don't know if, exactly. if you want to bring him to see something. Well, and it, it seems a little something. bit like that. It might slide more into somebody might make one every so often. That's uh, that's a big deal. But it might it might return to being more of a niche thing. Like I was sort of looking at what's upcoming. I'm like, you know, there's nothing I'm really excited for until uh, James Gunn's Superman film. You know, and that's more like out of several years you know, off. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's it's like I I don't know if it got pushed back because of the uh, acting and writer strikes or anything like that. But it's I, like, I love James Gunn more than anybody. I have no confidence in that movie because it's a bad yeah. pairing. James Gunn and Superman. Who thinks I, that? Well, like, parent, I, you know, I, uh, you know I, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about this when I write about the Suicide Squad. But like, you know, he really thrives with the weird oddball neglected characters and superman's like the opposite of that he's yeah. he's as like uh you know white bread as you could get he's, he's... great late yeah but yeah. um you know I, I would love to see james gunn do the authority i don't know if he's going to direct that one himself or what but it's like well, I, I don't know how it's going to be him because he's clearly taking over at a moment when the genre is collapsing yeah especially like and, the, the the interconnected you know, multiple yeah, yeah. universe approach to this stuff is collapsing and the better model is clearly make a Joker movie, make a Batman movie, pick and choose mm -hmm. as you as you will and don't make them all forced interconnected, I think is is the way it's always generally been done. That's what made the Marvel movie so exciting is they figured out a way to pull it off and they pulled it off. Yep. But I and think everyone who tried to copy that model basically failed, you know, I mean, to some degree or another. Um, but, like, but stuff like blue beetle yeah. you know like hey we're not yeah. that world anymore where like we're going to set up blue beetle for the big no 
You're not. You're not going to set up Blue Beetle to be part of the DCU universe. And people are psyched when Blue Beetle turns up in this yep. in a fucking authority movie. It's just like it's <laughs> no, that world and no. evil. You know, like that is um, exhausted. And I think that James yeah. Gunn, I think that's going to bomb out. I think, I think, and I feel bad for him because I love him, but it's just if like he's wrong... if he's put in that position basically to be a fall guy. I don't know. Like sometimes it feels like. I don't know what what Warner Brothers is doing, but it feels like they set certain things up to fail. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think like every studio does it at one time or another. I mean, like I don't know if you've ever read about people talking about that um, that movie Treasure Planet, the Disney animated movie, yeah. <laughs> where like some people say that like Disney maybe deliberately set it up to fail, so that they had an excuse to close down their two D division and focus on three D. It was like, wow. Uh, there's like conspiracies about these things, but like, you know, I, th I think like sometimes, you know, you do set up something to fail and it's an excuse to sell it to somebody else or to, you know, like who, I, I who don't knows know what the, these people are thinking, but I think, you know, you have a lot of people who are, I don't think I want to say, I don't think he's being set up to fail. I think he's just taking over at a moment where it, it's, it's all seems almost impossible that it's going to work what he's trying to do, right. you know? But also nothing has really replaced it in the zeitgeist yet. And what's happening with theatrical is so uncertain that it's really just hard to know what the future is. Well, and it's been a rough year for for blockbusters. Yeah. There's been a lot of like high profile flops. Yeah. The, the two kind of things that performed sort of unambiguously well, it was uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer yeah. this year. You know, those were the Although two big... it was funny, you know, when we were talking about audiences and seeing the Marvel movies with an audience and how exciting that was, I went with my son to see Oppenheimer packed, sold out screening the first mm -hmm. week and continuous dribble of people leaving. If I've never been in a movie that's had that many walkouts. And it was actually like, because I enjoyed that movie. I, I'm not a Christopher yeah. Nolan fan at all. So I was surprised. I, I think it's the best like thing it. he's done in a while because... It, but it was like a bummer to have an audience... Yeah actively disliking it around you in like Ooh. a palpable atmosphere was like oh this is this is bumming me out quite a but i understand this is a dry movie this is a dry piece of bread we're well, tripping down without in such a strange yeah. case because like he became like a big spectacle guy from the batman movies and you know like doing a tenant and interstellar i think he's he's like terrible at big spectacle and action I, I think like it's so clearly not his niche that it was like a relief to to see Oppenheimer and like I think there are certain things that are like obviously messy about Oppenheimer um my friend Alex Lynch was watching it for the first time just messaged me the other day and was like it feels like he watched half a Terrence Malick film and was trying to copy him <laughs> but uh you know for for the like me it feels like he editing. watched right stuff and was like got it I'm making right yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. but with Oppenheimer. But, but I, I would much rather him do Oppenheimer's than Tenants. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, he's so much better at this than like action spectacle kind of stuff. You know, he's clearly not that guy. Like, you know, there were some, apparently there's like rumors that he might want to do a, a James Bond film. And it's like, why? Like, he, like he'd well, be. James Bond is a great example when we talk yeah. about the Marvel movie. And I agree with you. I didn't mean to cut you off. Like, I don't want to Christopher oh, yeah, yeah. James Bond either. But, <laughs> but the James Bond movies really should be directed by people like John Glenn, like former stuntmen turned yes. like anonymous journeyman. Or, or people who are like, uh, 
you know, editor for 20 years directing their third movie, you know, like James Bond movies are a great example of they managed to sustain it an insanely long amount of time, but you can feel the last few of them, like audiences still show up, but it's sort of dead man walking. Yeah. And I'm not super confident when they come out with them again, that they're even going to try and connect it in any way to the stuff that came before. I I don't think so. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, I mean, a lot of people say they should go back to the novels and have these books uh, be the main inspiration and set the movies in the 1950s and early 60s. But like, there are reasons why you want to make a James Bond film set present day if you want to have like, you know, uh, car advertising snuck into your movie and James Bond wearing a modern watch and stuff like that. You know, there are reasons why you want it set present day, but like, you know, I I know, uh, I know John Cribbs really, really hated Skyfall. and I, like, so I remember bad. talking to him I after it. I saw it. Yeah. But I hate like, it. yeah, I, I just remember being like, I didn't hate Skyfall, but I'm like, oh, this should be like the last James Bond film. Yeah. Like, not, not the last Daniel Craig, film. like, you know, yeah. M's dead, yeah. James Bond finally kind of met his, and like the, the whole film is sort of about like, you know, the, the character and the franchise both aging. And, you know, when there's callbacks to like, 50 years ago when the, when the you know the austin martin's got the machine guns in the front and stuff like that it's it's like oh like this this has to be like the end right like you can't go anywhere else like this is clearly the end the and conference. then they made like a couple more after it which were worse i thought but um you know i again like i, I didn't hate it but i'm like oh this this has to be like the last one and i think like when you're talking about the marvels oh, but- it's a little bit like that where it's like oh this is like I, I don't hate the Marvels. I'm, I'm probably going to watch it again uh, when it comes out in video, but it's like, th- this is kind of the end, right? <laughs> this is, has to be like the last, uh, uh, or at least until they rethink it or reboot it. They, they, they had a bunch of false endings. Like the, you know, when Connery leaves, there's a like, can we keep going on? That's the same as like yeah, yeah. The, the, the Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr. retirement. And they, they have the majesty secret service that people hate and they have to move on quickly from that bond. And then there's the Dalton one. Which is my favorite James Bond film. <laughs> um, he's the worst bond in the best bond movie. Um, yeah, but uh, I actually like, I, I like um, uh, for your- Lazenby so, so endearing. Like you, you can't hate him. Like the, the, when he looks into the camera, he's like, this never happened to the other fella. It's like, I don't even care that you're not good. I like you. <laughs> But um, but the Dalton ones, these were seen yeah. as like, oh no, we might have killed the franchise with this, yes. you know. And now those movies are looked back on fondly, you know. Bond yeah. yeah. really go to bat for them, and they didn't kill the franchise. And I don't know if that's what what happens with Marvel movies if it slows down and it's more like getting one a year, and you know they they say I, the, I, like we're doing the Daniel Craig version of of the MCU now. You I mean, know? I would I would honestly really like that i mean instead of having i think it was a mistake to keep going after endgame they should have paused for like you know not forever but like you say they took two years off before the next marvel thing i think people would have been hungry for more and instead we got this like but i still think blood you're of like oh there's the loki show and there's the hawkeye you're, show and there's moon Knight, and inevitable. you know all of the problems yeah. they're having now you just would have had two years later um maybe but like you know if if instead they sort of said okay like you know we have this built culmination we're gonna pause and then we're gonna 
build back up slowly, gradually. And it's like, instead, they just try to sustain things at this pitch and it's unsustainable, you know? Yes. And you start running into problem, like real life problems with, um, you know, like Chadwick Boseman passing away. I think, you know, the, um, some of the, the passing of the torch Marvel movies have felt kind of forced and this one, it's like, you know, reality kind of forced them to happen, but you know, it's, I mean, well, I you know, was that film after the, 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 the good parts of the film were, is, were is you know, basically like a funeral, forward. you know? Yeah. No, but have they, is in all of these big franchises, have they ever successfully put in a, a mutt Ravenwood and successfully pass the, the torch to them? You know, have they ever I mean, successfully done that? And it, and it always feels like when they bring those characters in, it like flops and doesn't quite take if it doesn't flop like Wakanda forever. Like that's yeah. that's not the new Black Panther. You know what I mean? Like Black Panthers for all intents and purposes over now, you know, and that and that's going to happen with with Hawkeye's child bride or whoever that person is supposed to be. <laughs> you know, and Ms. Marvel here. <laughs> Like this, this um, of the torch isn't gonna isn't gonna work. In, in general, most passing of the torch films are done terribly. Like I, I was yeah. watching. Um, I think like what's a good example of a bad passing the torch film was that last Terminator film where they brought back Linda Hamilton and Schwarzenegger. Oh, where it's like, oh, here are the new characters who were who are going to be the start of a new. Tri I feel like every time there's a new Terminator, much. they promise yeah. a new trilogy. But yeah. like, like you know, for the first, and like I think like every recent terminator film kind of runs into the same problem where it's like oh the first like 25 minutes 40 minutes when it's just kind of redoing the first movie oh those are pretty you know they're not terrible I'll, i'd watch this and then like it blows apart and you know you're trying to make these characters stand on their own and yeah. then like who, you know who saves the day it's uh is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton at the end? Like you can't even let the characters stand on their own in the new movie, or even in like the the Star Wars well, movies. I know it's like the most. That. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Well, like, who wants to see Indiana Jones sitting on the sideline in the climax of his new movie? Nobody who paid a ticket. I wants mean, the, to fucking see that. The, well, one I well, thought like, was a successful a successful passing the torch movie. Uh, I thought was uh, Creed, which yeah. first of all, you know, you yeah. do the smart thing of putting like Creed right in the title. Yeah, And, you know, Rocky's a supporting character in it. And it, I thought like that first one, you can say whatever about where the franchise went after that first one. But, you know, that's a successful Passing of the Torch movie where, that's very true. you know, I, I think it's it's doable. It's just um, most Passing of the Torch stories aren't aren't well done because everyone wants to see that character one more time. And it's like, you know, you're never going to give, uh, you know, if, if you really want to make an Indiana Jones Passing of the Torch film he's got to be in it for like five, 10 minutes, or he's got to be like Sean Connery in the sidecar and not the main car. Uh, but, you know, people will argue like, oh, who wants to see that? So no, it, it's I, like a I weird, that. You've been, and that's, crazy. you know, I thought um, is like a Michael yeah. B. Jordan boxing movie that happens to have Sylvester yeah. Stallone in it. You know? Right, right. And you're, and you're like, exactly right. But it's that's funny, like I, I talked to a lot of people who um, like, I, I don't think the, the Last Jedi is, is very, it's one of those films that people will like argue about until the end of time. But like a lot of the things that other people who hate that movie hate are not the things that I hate about it. Like, like I was actually fine with the, uh, with Luke Skywalker being a, a bum and saying, well, you know, you, like, you know, there's that scene where he's talking to um, uh, what's, what's her name? Br brunette lady. 
Uh, and he's like, you know, you don't need Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but, you know, like, I would have been fine if that was like the last you saw of him. But instead, like, he comes back and he saves the day at the end. And it's like, like, you know, how are you supposed to let these characters stand on their own when they can't stand on their own? You know, I, I don't know. That's this, this is a whole like personal beef I have with these passing of the torch movies, how, how poorly most of them are handled, because I think you can do it well. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I think most of them aren't. Yeah, well, because the most of them are just like money grabs made by people who don't have necessarily have some profound connection to the material. It's <laughs> sure. the kind of the fact that, that for yeah. Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones is like a passion project. His idea isn't yeah. like, let me make the most money possible. It's like, let me make something like the serials I loved when I was a kid and do something in that vein and, and improve yeah. upon them and fix the rough edges that, you know, were always an embarrassment and do an awesome version of that. And that's why he makes it. And he's confident it'll make money, but he does it because he cares about it. By the time you get James Mangold on board, sleepwalking through your fucking movie, it's yeah. just, why is anybody doing this other than like, we've got these shit makes a ton of money for us. We got to keep going. And that's how Marvel's feels is like, this shit makes a ton of movie money for us. We've got to keep going. Somebody come do this. You, you want to do it? Hop on well, board. Like, you you, you get don't want like to do it. Waller Bridge who, yeah. like, you know, she, she's wonderful if you ever watched like Fleabag and stuff like that. But it's like uh, sticking in the movie. It's, it's like a, like a totally desperate attempt at like having any kind of continuation of an Indiana Jones film. You know what I mean? It's like, very like uh, just put, never, put somebody in there who can who can be the new Indiana Jones, I guess. I but never even see, I had heard her name before, but I had never seen her before. Or okay. I didn't even know what she looked like before that movie. I knew she had written a James Bond movie or she, one that's coming out. And, and I don't know what, I didn't know a single thing about Fleabag, except that she has a show called Fleabag that people love. Don't know if it's a comedy, don't know if it's a drama. I don't know anything about her. Okay. And it's, and I will tell you, it is utterly baffling why she was put in this movie and what she's supposed to be. Nothing about her to a novice. And most of the people who see that Indiana Jones movie are not going to know a goddamn thing about her, are going to be like me. It is it is utterly puzzling that this person has been inserted into an Indiana Jones movie and is clearly supposed to be taking over. There's no relationship to whatever this star and her star persona is to what Indiana Jones is. It's it's weird. They might as well put fucking Rodney Dangerfield in it for how unrelated it is. You know, they might as well have put, <laughs> might as well have been like Michael Shannon. He's the new Indiana Jones. Like, <laughs> I Maybe I would have watched this? that. I don't know. I mean, well, uh, exactly. But it's just like, what, where, where did this idea come from? In any I mean, way? I, what, what, what I would have exactly. done, I'll, I'll say this, Michael then we can start like, where you're like, oh, that makes sense as him as a yeah, yeah. son. That's awesome. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. You know, this is all great. You know, and it and there is a bit of there's a huge amount of that to Marvel's of of Professor Marvel mm -hmm. of being like, why do they think anybody wants to see this person headline a two hundred million dollar movie? Like, who is this actor? What is this character? Why does anybody want this? With with Kamala Khan, that makes a better case because that actress is charming and has something to do. But it, it's definitely like, who thought this? And Brie Larson, it feels like she's there 
Like there's somebody standing off camera pointing at her contract, being like, you got to make this movie in between every single take. You know, uh, remember, you got to make this movie, you know, just getting yelled at her. But I, I bet you, like, she's probably once her contract and whatever's done, she's not going to she's not going to go back and do like another spectacular now. She's going to go and do in like Fast and Furious uh 22 she's gonna do uh king kong returns you know like she's probably she's probably never gonna go back to she's to... gonna be the the bad guy in the new hunger games movie yeah yeah i i, I mean i'm, I'm kind of joking but i'm kind of not joking you know i feel like you know sometimes once you go down that route it's like impossible to ever go back again but yeah all right well martin we've anyway. talked about this for over two hours yeah, who, who would have thought we could get this much conversation out of the movie? <laughs> thank you for talking about it with me. Let's, yeah, thank you for inviting me on. A anytime, anytime. Yeah. Um, awesome. This will go up immediately. Uh, I hope this was an interesting conversation for you, too. Have a good night, everybody, listening to this fucking thing. Take care. Bye. <laughs>